I'm so very grateful for the relationship that God has given me in my life with a mission-minded concept and a, 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 an understanding of the Holy Land and the Middle East and things that are transpiring, the ministry that he has placed in this church through uh, Dr. Jeremy Lang. And I love and appreciate him so very much and his stand for truth. And I have asked him specifically tonight to come and preach to you. This is not going to be a down night because he already told me what he was preaching. And you're going to have a hard time not kicking your shouting shoes off tonight. I'm just telling you. But this man is a preacher. He's a man of prayer. He is a man of conviction. And we are blessed to have the Lang family in this church. I want you to make him welcome as he comes. Would you do that tonight, Dr. Jeremy Lang and the Lord? If you love Jesus, come on, let's give him some praise tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I love him. Amen. I so appreciate each one of you. I'm going to keep you standing long. But before I read uh, my text tonight, I just want to say this. This assembly needs to understand, and myself being connected, at least marginally, over the years and more intimately over the past nearly one year, we need to understand something, how blessed that we are to have Luke and T.J. St. Clair as the pastors of this assembly. Amen. Amen. And let me say one other thing as well publicly because I've not been able to do that yet. Uh, pastor preached at National Youth Convention. And we were all blessed and better because of it. And I so appreciate uh, the public stand for truth, the doctrine, as well as the biblical teachings with regards to holiness. What an awesome, awesome thing. Now, let me say this. If you are a first-time guest uh, here tonight, please come back Wednesday or Sunday and hear Pastor preach the Word of God. He's a whole lot better than I am. Amen. So you need to come back and hear Pastor. Come on, church. Amen. Do you love your pastor? Amen. I'm just... Sliding in here today, designated hitter, amen. But I so appreciate the word of the Lord. Pastor and I uh, discussed some important things this past week with regards to the times that we're living in and uh, with regards to uh, a certain field uh, of uh, inquiry that I have been studying even in uh, my secular studies in university. Uh, I majored in international studies and there. Uh, my focus, uh, my concentration was Middle Eastern studies and Arabic language. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can learn from that perspective with regards to what we're seeing on the headlines and also what we're reading here. Brother Solomon, I stole your Bible tonight because I gave my Bible to Brother Narlock. Uh, so your Bible was sitting there and so I stole your Bible. Can I have this one? Thank you. Okay, now I'm just teasing, but I did steal his Bible tonight. Amen. I don't like to come to the pulpit without a physical Bible, just in case my battery dies on my iPad. If you've ever had it happen, you know the reason. 
Romans chapter number 13, a very familiar text tonight. Romans 13, verse number 11. Romans 13, verse number 11. If you're there, say amen. All right. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I want you to soak in that sentence. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. If you have been a student in Hebrew Academy or if you have traveled to Israel, as some in this room have with me, or if you're watching by way of our live stream tonight, one of my go-to scriptures is always, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, but in all thy getting, get Understanding. Tonight, we want to get some understanding about some things because we can have an understanding of what the Bible says, but we also need to know some things about what we're reading in the newspaper as well. Tonight, I just want to talk to us about Islamic extremism and the role of the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for power and for truth that is in your word. I'm asking you, Lord, tonight to minister to our hearts through your word. Let there be wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that would come to us tonight. Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise for all of these things. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that they look good before you're seated. There are times in my life that I put a disclaimer because I want people to understand the true heart of what it is that I'm about to say and not be misquoted. But tonight, if I could, as I mentioned very frankly what I was going to be speaking about and a few specifics to pastor let me just say frankly tonight that I did not come to coddle anyone. I did not come tonight to be politically correct because not always is political correctness historically correct. Nor is it biblically correct. My mandate today is not that of a politician or a statesman or of a reporter. My mandate today is that of an ordained apostolic Pentecostal preacher. The year was 570 A.D. Listen carefully. A boy was born in the city of Mecca to a widowed mother, his father having died six months before. This young boy was very young when his mother died also, and the orphaned young lad was then raised by his uncle, who was a rich merchant by the name of Abu Talib. 
the circumstances that surrounded the birth and formative years of this boy named Muhammad would put him on a collision course that would affect humanity for centuries to come. Muhammad traveled with his uncle as a merchant. During his travels, he met Christians and he met Jews. It was during those travels that he heard bits and pieces of the biblical stories. He did not receive the name of Abraham, Noah, Moses, Jesus, and Mary by revelation as Islam would claim. But rather he received them from earthly sources during his travels as a merchant with his rich uncle Abu Talib. When he was 40 years old in the year of 610, Muhammad was in seclusion in a cave outside of Mecca. It was during that time that he claimed that the angel Jibril in Arabic, it's Gabriel to you and me, came to him and began to give him revelation about Islam and about God and about the true religion. True, I put in air quotes today. I love air quotes. If you've known me for any time, listen, they're handy. Come on, somebody. It was soon after this time that Muhammad began to preach. He was accepted by some but scorned by others. It was the hope of Muhammad to gain a Jewish following. Jews were leaders in business in that day. They were leaders with regards to trade. They were leaders with regards to finance. It was his hope to gain a following from Jewish people because here comes a man out of the desert of Arabia preaching a message very unlike what was already in Mecca. Mecca at this time was full of paganism, full of idol worship. But here comes Muhammad, 40 years old, preaching, There is no God but God. In Arabic, La ilaha illah. There is no God but God. The Jews at first listened to him. Here comes a man who is not a Jew by birth. And he's coming with a message that there is only one God. Naturally, it would have seemed like a fit. But then suddenly some things began to come out of his preaching that were not from the Word of God. They realized very soon that this was not a man who was of like precious faith, but this was another false prophet as many other false prophets had come and gone throughout time. So in response to the pledge of faith we call in Arabic the shahada. The shahada is the pledge of faith that there is no God but God. It was at this time when the Jews rejected Muhammad. If you want to know the reason why the animosity exists between the Muslims and the Jews, it is because the Jews rejected Muhammad wholesale. When he came out preaching La ilaha illah, they said, No, you are not one of our prophets. You are not from the holy bloodline. You're not teaching what our prophets wrote about. So he changed the shahada. He changed the Muslim pledge of faith from just there is no God but God to La ilaha illah Muhammadun Rasulullah. There is no 
God, but God and Muhammad is the messenger of God. What did he do? He created a religion that declared there's no God but God, but you cannot accept that, that one God without accepting Muhammad as his messenger. It was through this that many anti-Semitic things began to come out of Islam. You see, before Muhammad was praying toward Jerusalem, that holy city, this is called the Qibla, the prayer direction. As we know today, Muslims pray toward Mecca, but it didn't start that way. Muhammad began with the prayer direction toward the holy city of Jerusalem. He was in Medina at that time, praying toward Jerusalem. But when the Jews rejected him, something anti-Semitic came up in his heart. And what did he do? He turned toward Mecca. And from Medina, to turn toward Mecca means that he absolutely turned his back upon Jerusalem and upon that holy temple mount. I want to tell you that the actions of Muhammad, the Muslim prophet, was more than just a symbolic thing. It was a spiritual thing. He turned his back upon that temple mount. And so let me say here today, as someone with dual citizenship in the kingdom, when Muhammad turned his back upon Jerusalem the Islamic claim to the holy city of Jerusalem became null and void it's important that we understand so it was since this time that he turned his back upon Jerusalem and Israel that there has existed animosity between Islam and Judaism as well as Christianity Jews and Muslims could not live in Muslim, or rather Jews and Christians could not live in Muslim lands in freedom. They were required to pay a tax called the jizya. Jizya tax was required. Doesn't sound like freedom to me. This persecution was light compared to the blood that would be spilled later. Today, Muhammad and Muslims today claim that he was a descendant of Ishmael, the son of Father Abraham and Hagar, the Egyptian maid servant of Sarah. Hear me tonight. Muslims, based on nothing, make this claim that Isaac was not the promised son but that Ishmael was the promised son. In history, as well as theology, we have a term for such a baseless claim. Absurd. There is only one ancient primary source record of Abraham, Ishmael, Hagar, Sarah, and Isaac. This is the primary source. The Quran did not come around until 610 years after the birth of the Messiah. This is the primary source right here. And in Genesis 25 and 5, 
our primary source says and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac oh boy I am about to shout up in here This is the reason why that you and I today, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, if you be Christ, then are you the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Listen, we don't have to look back through the line of Ishmael. No, today we have become partakers of that holy root and the fatness thereof because of the blood of the Messiah. He gave all. That he had unto Isaac. Sorry Ishmael. You didn't get anything here. You may say well that's mean spirited isn't it? No not really. Because according to Jewish theology. Faith comes through the mother. That means you are the faith of your mother. So. Hagar was an Egyptian. Sarah was a Hebrew. It would have been impossible for Hagar to give birth to holy seed. It had to come through Sarah. But this is the reason why That Ephraim and Manasseh today are tribes of Israel. Because when we look back to Joseph, his wife was from where? But guess what happened? Jacob, Father Jacob knew they are not real Hebrews. Why? Because their mother was an Egyptian. So how is it today that Ephraim and Manasseh today are tribes of Israel? Because Jacob adopted them. When did he adopt them? The scripture tells us plainly. He said, bring them to me. And then Jacob said to Joseph, these two are no longer yours, but they are mine. Everyone that you have after this, they can be yours. But these two are mine. And what did he do? He laid his hands upon them and he blessed them. But he did not just lay his hands upon them like this. He crossed his arms when he laid his hands upon them. Why did he do it? Because he understood the only way that they can become part Of the holy tribe and the holy seed is through the cross. They became adopted. This is the reason why the Bible says that you and I have been given the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry... Abba, Father, why did the writer in the Greek New Testament choose to use a Hebrew word, Abba? Because he was trying to remind us of that ancient Hebrew tradition of adoption and what happened with Jacob and Ephraim and Manasseh. It only comes through the cross. I want to preach to somebody today and say, if you want to be a part of this holy nation, you've got to bow at the feet of the cross. 
not something for the seed of Ishmael. This is only for people who have become a part of Jacob. This is the reason why that the church today is called the, the Israel of God. He is the God of Israel, but the church through the blood of the Messiah become partakers of this. We did not replace the Jews. We joined them and became partakers of the fatness and the holiness and the power of that holy root. How many in this place are thankful that you've been grafted in against nature? Oh, I'm thankful today for the power of the cross. Ishmael, you have no claim to the holy city, Jerusalem. You have no claim to the land of Israel. You have no justified cause to ask for a two-state solution in the nation of Israel because the promise of inheritance was given only to the children of Israel. It's not politically correct, but it's biblically sound. Genesis 16 and 11. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be, verse 12, a wild man. Wild. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. This prophetic word that was given in verse number 12, saying that he will be a wild man, who will be against every man and every man against him. This is prophetic to what we're seeing today. With regards to Islamic extremism. The ideas of jihad. Jihad is a term that means holy war. It is not a new concept. The waging of holy war that has been preached. In Muslim pulpits. For a long time. Is based upon the Muslim comes the air quotes again, get ready. Holy book. I want to make sure that you caught the air quotes. Because the Quran, the book of Islam, contains at least 109 verses that call Muslims to war with non-believers for the sake of Islamic rule. This is not talking about converting people because of salvation or for love of God, but for Islamic rule, period. It's not about a heavenly kingdom with jihad. It's about earthly empire and earthly rule. I want to be about my father's business. Building the kingdom of God. Some of these command to chop off the heads and others the extremities, and to kill infidels wherever they may be hiding. The Quran, the 8th surah, or the 8th chapter, 
verse 12, I will cast terror into the hearts of those who disbelieve. Therefore, strike off their heads and strike off every fingertip of them. In the ninth surah, verse 29, Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and His messenger, nor acknowledge the religion of truth. Even if they are the people of the book, they call. This is, this is one part. Oh boy. This is one part of the Quran that I love. You weren't expecting me to say that after everything I've said. This is the part of the Quran that I love. Do you know what the Muslims call Jews and Christians? The people of the book. You just saw a fat boy dance and I think I'm just going to do it again because I am one of those people of the book and I'm going to stand beside the book and I'm not going to forsake the book because it is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower thereof may fall at the way, but the word of God is going to stand forever. I love it when the Quran calls me the people of the book. You may love me, you may hate me, but when you call me a people of the book, you've got it right, baby. I'm a person of this book. Oh, glory. Somebody say, settle down, Brother Lang. Oh, glory. Nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are the people of the book, until they pay the jizya, the tax, with willing submission. That's what Islam means. Submission. Did you know that? They want submission. One way or another, pastor says, absolutely right. And they feel themselves subdued. Turn to your neighbor and say, get understanding. (laughs) Mount Sinai was the place when the nation of Israel was specifically born. Why? Because a state is defined as a country that has laws and rule. So when the word of God was given to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses, and to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. Everyone say Sinai. Let's say it in pure Hebrew. Har Sinai. See, everybody spoke in tongues tonight. I'm going to tweet that. Boy, tonight everybody spoke in tongues. Har Sinai, Mount Sinai. Law was given, and God said, I've given you my law, I've given you my word, and I've given you my commission to be a light unto the nations. Sinai comes from the root moon. Isn't it amazing that God told Moses, look up into the sky. What was he looking for? The new moon. God said, this is going to be the sign for you. This is going to be the testimony for you. This is who you're going to be. You're not the sun. 
You don't provide your own light. You only are called to reflect. And Sinai means the mountain of the moon. Muslims don't like that. So they've been claiming to have the moon. That's the reason why on top of every mosque you see the moon. On every flag you see the moon. Always trying to take what God already sanctified the children of Israel for. They couldn't take the law out of their hands. They couldn't take the blessings of God out of their hands. So what are they doing today? They're trying to take the holy land out of their hands. So why is it today? We're talking about Israel. We're talking about Islam. But let's talk about Los Estados Unidos. Where's my Spanish speakers in here? Somebody say, Gloria Dios. Hey, listen, my Spanish is good enough. Listen, those of you in here that speak Spanish, I know some of you. I do not need your help when I order at Taco Bell. I've got it made. I just want you to know that. Come on, somebody. I feel like I'm compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses tonight. What about our God-blessed America? The old prophet T.W. Barnes, who many of us in this room know, and I've been blessed to shake his hand. I've been blessed to hear him preach. He said, our great country exists for three reasons. He said, first of all, to fund world missions. We're doing that. Second, to stop the rise of Antichrist before his time. And third, to befriend the nation of Israel. And to that, to the old prophet who has already gone on, I would say, Amen and Amen. But he went on and said, The moment that we stop doing any one of those three, we will have no reason to exist. So because of that, we the church have to mobilize with our giving, with our preaching. And let me just say, anti-Semitism is a sin before God. But let me, before I go on, let me say all forms of hatred and racism are a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. So we have to ask ourselves the question today. 
especially after the happenings of this past week. Why do Muslim terrorists hate us? And by us, I mean our great nation. I have a few pictures that I want to show us tonight very quickly. When the nation of Israel was born, it was a great miracle that took place. Can you imagine just a few years after one of the greatest atrocities that have happened in modern times, the Holocaust, that out of the ashes of that, the nation of Israel would be reborn. Here is a depiction of that great day when David Ben-Gurion declares Israel an independent and sovereign nation. In the background, you can see hanging behind him a picture of Theodore Herzl, who was the father of modern Zionism, who wrote a book. He was a, uh, he was, uh, a writer himself. Uh, he was a reporter, a journalist, who wrote a book that stirred up the hearts of Jews who were living, the Ashkenazim, especially the Ashkenazi or European Jews that were living in Europe, stirred their hearts when he wrote the book Der Judenstaat, which means the Jewish state. They hung his likeness behind them and declared on this day that Israel is an independent and a sovereign nation to the shock of the world. And who was the first nation? Around 11 minutes later, next picture, Harry Truman, our president, just a few minutes after the declaration, wanted to be the first one to take a public stand and said the United States recognizes the provisional government of the new state of Israel. And from that very time until the present time, The state of Israel has had no greater friend than the United States of America. And I say, let's let it stay that way. So why do they hate us? Let's keep going. I was in Washington, D.C. where Benjamin Netanyahu was speaking. And I heard him make this statement and I wrote it down because I thought I'm going to get some mileage out of that statement. And here I am. Our enemies think that we are you and you are us. And you know what? They are right. And to Bibi Netanyahu I would say, Amen and Amen. Because... You and I, and this is incredibly important that we recognize this. He was speaking politically. But when you're talking about prophecy and nations, there's nothing that's just mere politics. The natural and the spiritual world don't only run parallel, they intersect. And when it comes to the nation of Israel, the spiritual as well as the physical, are line upon line. So when he said, 
Our enemies think that we are you and that you are us. And you know what? They're right. I could not agree more. Physically, yes. Spiritually, let me talk about the apostolic church for just a moment. You and I, the the very moment that you and I stand up and boldly proclaim, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The moment that you and I hold our little ones and speak into their ears that there is one God and there's coming a day that the world is going to know that there is one Lord and His name is one. That very moment you and I have disconnected ourselves from the trappings of Rome and we put on the cloak of the holiness of the nation of Israel proclaiming the one God of Israel. Intersect. Oh. <laughs> I was taking a group to Israel. We had visited the tomb of David. Then we went up a floor and visited the upper room, which is above the tomb of David Hamelech. David but then you know us apostolics we, we just never just satisfied with the upper room so we decided we're going to go on the roof of the upper room come on somebody we talk about higher heights all the time you go to Israel with me we going higher hey, hey. glory to God mm-hmm. I was glad that we did on this day you can get good panoramic shots and when we got up there was powerful. Brother Michael Gill was there on this trip. See, you came to hear Pastor Luke preach, and you're very disappointed right now, aren't you? Oh, glory. Don't you patronize me, boy. I'll whoop you. We went up on the roof, and as we were walking up on the roof, We met a couple of guys. They didn't speak any English at all. But they saw our group going up to the top and they said, Oh, where are you all from? In Hebrew. I said, Well, we're from we're from America. Said, Oh. Said, Oh, is it uh, birthright? They asked if this was a birthright trip uh, because every Jew in the world gets a free trip to Israel when they're young it's called a birthright trip because what are they doing trying to get more Jews to make Aliyah to move back to the nation of Israel I said no that there's there's only one of Am Israel in this group see which one you can find they're talking to me and looking at everyone else and they said ah This is going to be very difficult because this whole group looks just like Jews. I said, thank you. Why? Because Jews know what holiness is. 
They know what separation is. They've read the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm not pastor, but I'm feeling his spirit coming over this away right here. He's, he's throwing it at me now. We are a peculiar people. Come on, somebody. I said every one of those that you see out there are goys, which is Hebrew for Gentile. And he said, they sure don't look like and feel like Gentiles to me, the way they're carrying themselves, the way that they're talking, the way that they look. And all I could say was, thank you very much. I'm going to get some mileage out of that too. And so here I am preaching about it. Listen, something happens when you connect to the holy root. You become holy. Something happens when you're grafted in. Same message it says, be ye holy for I am holy becomes your message, becomes your calling, becomes your commission and my commission. Oh boy, I'm off the rails. Let's go on to the next one. Now some in this room remember this. The pastor and I are just a smidgen. He's six months older than me. And as he said at anniversary, he doesn't know how in the world I got. We got licensed and ordained on the same day. And he don't see how I got a license and an ordination. He still can't figure that out. We've had talks about it and everything, and I'm beginning to think they made a mistake. But we're just a smidgen bit too young to remember what happened in 1979 when the Iranian Revolution began in Iran. And our diplomats were taken hostage. How many in this room do remember? So you remember turning on the radio and hearing the parody of the song Barbara Ann? Anybody, anybody remember what I'm talking about? Remember? Forgive me, Pastor. You, you know the song. No, you're, you're God's holy people. You don't know the song. Uh, but my, my parents are ex-hippies, and so I know all of this stuff, Okay. You know, ba 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 Okay, that song has never been sung in this church, and it better never happen again. Okay. But you turned on the radio, and they had parodied that song to bomb, 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 I ran. See, someone was singing it with me. You heard it. I caught you. Oh, you're waving at me. He's not ashamed. He's got a testimony. Come on, somebody. You remember what was happening in this nation when these things were going on. And this was the doings of this man, the Ayatollah Khomeini. And he said, Americans are the great Satan, the wounded snake. He also said that Israel is the little Satan. You see... Bibi was right when he said they think that you are us and that we are you. And you know what? They're right. This is truly what they think. Now we know there is a new Ayatollah. This one has already died. Let's go on to the next one. 
few years ago when Ahmadinejad was the president of Iran. His speeches at the UN were full of Islamic eschatology, prophecy, about the coming of the Islamic Messiah. Did you know that Muslims are also waiting for a Messiah that is called the Mahdi? They believe that the Mahdi will come. This is in Shia Islam, not in Sunni Islam, but especially in Shia Islam. This is the reason why that the Saudis don't like the Iranians either. The reason is because they believe that the Mahdi is going to make an entire caliphate from Kashmir to Morocco, a nation of Islam. And what is he going to do? He's going to declare himself Mahdi in Mecca. And then guess where he's going to, according to their prophecy. I'm not talking about this yet. But according to their prophecy, their Mahdi is going to set up his kingdom somewhere near Baghdad. There is another old city somewhere near Baghdad. It's called Babylon. Here's where our book kicks in. These anti-Semites, they don't like you either. Anti-Americans, anti-apostolics need to read what John wrote. They have no future. For John declared, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So here's what Ahmadinejad said. Anybody who recognizes Israel will burn in the fire of the Islamic nation's fury. You think this guy's playing? You think their nation is playing? They're dead serious. Let's go on to the next slide. Why do they hate us? Many in this room are old enough to remember September 11th, 2001. We don't know why they flew in to the Pentagon and why they flew in to the Twin Towers. This is what Osama bin Laden said. We say our terror against America is blessed terror. In order to put an end to suppression, in order for the United States to stop its support to Israel. Their terror has everything to do with our connectivity to our holy root in the holy land. Go on to the next one. These are scriptures from the Quran. Have you ever preached from the Quran before? We are just breaking new ground here, aren't we? Let's see what the Quran says. It better never be preached from here again. <laughs> Don't make treaties with non-Muslims. They are all evildoers and should not be trusted. The next verse. Kill the non-believers wherever you find them. The next one. Christians and Jews must believe what Allah has revealed to Muhammad or Allah will disfigure their faces or turn them into apes. 
Sometimes I look in the mirror and I want, no, I'm just teasing. As he did the Sabbath breakers. I'm thinking, it's already happening. This is what the Holy Quran says. They're not playing. These are their marching orders. Now listen. Let's go on to the next one. And this is my last slide. And then I'm going to try to land this plane tonight. Oh, yes, I am. God knows. This is the words of Osama bin Laden. God knows it did not cross our minds to attack the towers. But after the situation became unbearable and we witnessed the injustice and tyranny of the American-Israeli alliance against our people in Palestine and Lebanon, I thought about it. Why was it that we were attacked on September the 11th? Because of our relationship with the nation of Israel. This is not something that we're guessing about. These are the words of the terrorists themselves. And I'm going to take them at their word. I don't care what politicians say about it. I don't care what the political correct police say about it. I'm telling you tonight what they said. Why they did it today. But I'm going to tell you today that I believe with all of my heart. That we are commissioned by God as this nation, this great nation that you and I call home. We, if we will understand what Genesis chapter 12 declares. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. I believe today we are a blessed nation because we have blessed the Jewish people. Why? Because God is not slack concerning His promises. With all of my heart, I believe it. They are motivated. What motivates them? What motivates Islamic extremism? It's not wealth. It's not fame. Many wealthy and educated men and women have left riches to live in squalor. Why do they do it? Because they're motivated by their zeal for Allah and jihad. Osama bin Laden was a millionaire who exchanged the large mansions of his family fortune for the caves of Tora Bora. He spent a great deal of his wealth training and investing in his global terror network that we know as Al-Qaeda. Anyone who shows solidarity toward Israel or who offends Islam in the slightest secures a place on their hit list. Bin Laden made it clear that his hatred of America was based primarily on our strong support of Israel and the Jewish people around the world. I remember where I was when I got the news that Bin Laden had been killed. How many remember where you were? I remember being hopeful at that time that perhaps the system of Al-Qaeda would collapse but that didn't happen. In fact, when the hullabaloo all broke out in Syria, I told my wife then that I said, I'm, I'm aware of a group of people called the Islamic State, which we later called ISIS. I was greatly concerned about them because I knew that radical Islam was looking for a network that had the wind at its back again. It didn't take long until ISIS gained traction in Syria and Iraq. 
an absolute display of ignorance. Our commander-in-chief at that time labeled ISIS the junior varsity terrorist organization. How undiscerning can you be? Killing bin Laden was not going to stop terrorism. Islamic extremism is more than one person. It's also more than one organization. It is an ideology that is fueled by the powers of hell itself. Even though we might label it as political, we need to understand that at the basis of Islamic extremism is the spirit of Antichrist. John the Revelator said it very clearly. John said that that dragon went after the woman who brought forth the man-child. That woman was not the Virgin Mary. That woman is the nation of Israel itself that brought forth the man-child, the Messiah. What did he do? He He chased her into the wilderness and decided, I'm going to persecute her. What people in this world have been persecuted more than the Jewish people for as long as the Jewish people have? Yes, many different groups have had their seasons of persecution but from the very beginning hell itself has been after the nation of Israel why? because hell knew that Messiah would come from that woman the seed of the woman ISIS more brutal seemingly even more motivated than anything that we had seen up until recently How could this happen? I've done a lot of thinking about this in the last few days. And I'm reminded, church family, of the times that we are living in. Scripture is being fulfilled in our times. I know a lot of atheists, a lot of atheists that love to open up our precious story of creation and tear it to shreds. But I don't hear many of them turn to Daniel and Ezekiel and Revelation and try to disprove the prophecies that are coming to pass in the day that we're living in. Listen. I hate to be the bearer of bad news to any unbelievers, but there's coming a day, if you wait too long, that you're going to be forced to kneel and forced to confess because it is already written that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. I invite you tonight to beat the rush on that day. Kneel tonight. Confess that He's Lord tonight. Repent of your sins tonight. Be baptized in Jesus' name tonight. This thing's wrapping up, honey. If you've not been baptized in the name of Jesus, you need to do it tonight. Be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible declares in 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In light of our understanding of the times, we need to maintain our convictions of God, family, country, and souls more now than ever. We are seeing today an escalation in evil. While many today are being lulled to sleep by political correctness, the color of coffee cups and stupid stuff. 
There is an evil beast that is sprawling out across our country and our world. Don't be sedated by that evil beast. It's time to arise. It's time to wake up. Know the times that we are living in. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. I got to get a drink of water real quick. So let's get understanding and ask a question. And we need to be ready to answer this question. Are all Muslims evil? I know many Muslims. I've traveled throughout the Middle East. I lived in India beside 150 million Muslims. In fact, We rented from Muslims because Hindus worship cows and they wouldn't let us, Hindus wouldn't let us rent from them because I like to eat beef. (laughs) Come on, somebody, help me tonight. Ain't no time to be a vegetarian. All right. Jesus is coming. done forgot my message all right (laughs) I've lived in Muslim communities heard the call to prayer five times a day heard it they evil we need to ask ourselves the question are all Muslims evil and be ready to answer that question My landlords were Muslims. We shared many meals and many cups of tea together. (laughs) My wife went down to get some beef one day at the Muslim butcher. And a man approached my wife and said, you're American, right? My wife said, yes, sir. He said, of course, this was back in the Dizay, you know, he said, Your George Bush is an evil man. Saddam Hussein, he's a righteous man. My wife said, well, it's like this is no day day to become a vegetarian. It's also no day to become a martyr. She said, well, he is my president. And I'm commanded in the word of God to pray for my leadership. We need to revisit that conviction as well. doesn't matter if there's a donkey or an elephant in the White House. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep this thing apolitical tonight. I've done a pretty decent job, but I might fail right here. Let's see what happens. No. The Muslims in our area called me pastor. I played cricket in the street with the little kids. Let me tell you what kind of trust I had. I went to a barber, a Muslim. Lean back in that chair with the straight razor coming up to my neck. Now, I will say the first time I did it, I had a few fleeting thoughts. If this guy does not like me 
Or if he asks me where I'm from and he's sharpening that straight razor, I'm going to say, Francais. <laughs> no, no. Freedom fries. Come on, somebody. All right, never mind. <laughs> I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Playing cricket with one little boy, and I say, Hey, what's your name? He said, Osama bin Laden. I said, oh, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, this, these are the, as missionaries, these are the reports that you don't send back and say, pray for us. We have found Osama bin Laden. <laughs> he lives on our street in the Muslim area of Chennai, South India. We know where he's at. Another one said, my name is Saddam Hussein. I said, oh, we found him too. Praise God. We were looking for him for a while. They lived on our street. Our landlord, his daughter was pregnant. I'll never forget the day that he came up and knocked on my door. They lived just below us and he said, Pastor, I want you to come down and lay hands upon my daughter and pray for her. She's going to be having a baby very soon. I strapped on my sandals and my wife and I went downstairs and we thought it was just going to be him, his son-in-law, and a couple of daughters and his wife there. It was a family affair. There were burqas and hijabs everywhere and I was surrounded. And the whole place went quiet when we walked in. Do you remember this, mama? Oh, this is one of those things where I just want to go. I, you, walk, you get into those situations, you walk in, you'll be like, what if I said Jesus real loud? You know. Some of you all have no idea the song that I'm citing, and that's okay. But I was praying, and I prayed. And at the very end, old brother Fred Gill said something one time. He said, when you pray for people overseas, pray with your eyes open, because you never know when somebody's going to hit you or pull a knife. I remembered that about halfway through that prayer. I thought of the old great man of God, Fred Gill, as I was praying. And I, I opened my eyes and I, in Jesus' name. And then I turned around looking like, anybody want to go? Here we go, right here. I said it. I said it because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first. But guess what? He didn't leave out the Greek. He didn't leave out the Gentile. Oh yes. So are they all evil? I say all these things to let you know. I'll never forget the day I walked into my first Arabic class. And my Arabic teacher got up and said, I am a Palestinian from Ramallah. And I said, oh, Baruch Hashem. Here we go. A great friendship. I established with that woman and many in the nation of Israel that are my friends to this day. So I will not say that all Muslims are evil. I love them. And let me encourage every one of us tonight. You need to pray for people like Tufi Azar and his family who are doing a work of God in the nation of Lebanon 
Because I've been there, I've preached there, and I've seen what they're doing, and God is using them to do a great work among Muslim people. I do not hate Muslims, but let me say this. I hate the doctrine. Why do I hate the doctrine? Because the Bible tells me to hate every evil way. Every false way, we are commanded to hate every false way. I love every Trinitarian, but I hate Trinitarian doctrine. Why? Because I've seen what it's done in the lives of people just like Muslim doctrine. This isn't very politically correct tonight now, is it? I hate the doctrines, but there is a way for you to hate every false way. I love every person who's caught up in it. The reason that we need to understand this is because in all the atrocities in the Middle East, there are more Muslims that have been killed than Kurds, Christians, Jews, and Yazidis. However, the question remains, and hear me carefully right here. Do these seemingly nonviolent Muslims support organizations that are terrorists? Ask any Muslim if they support Hamas. Do it at a distance first. Or Hezbollah. These are terrorist organizations and need to be boldly proclaimed as such. Very much like the Iranian regime is a terrorist organization. Preach it, Brother Lang. I'm helping myself tonight. When they say they're going to run every Jew into the Mediterranean Sea, wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that is a terrorist, genocidal organization. This is the reason why today it is important that we're able to know the times and discern the spirits at work in the times in which we are living, whenever an Iranian general is killed in a drone strike, as happened just a few days ago, it is a terrible testimony of an individual that the world becomes better when they're not in it. That is a very shameful thing. That is a very sad thing. And I've seen so much over social media talking bad about Jews and Christians, especially Christians saying we're supposed to pray for our enemies, not slaughter them. Yes, Jesus did say pray for your enemies, but he also said in Matthew 26 and 52, for all they that take the sword shall also perish by the sword. Nobody told that man or forced that man to become a hater of Christians and Jews. You did that yourself? And even the Messiah himself said, you take up the sword, you will also perish by the sword. So you and I, as apostolic Christians today, need to understand the times that we're living in. And with regards to these groups and these organizations, when you ask them if they are in support of the nation of Israel existing, nine times out of ten, they will ride with their own brand. And I know because I have lived it. So today, it's been a sobering week. Once again, we're reminded of the ever-present evil in our world. Terror attacks in this nation. France, Iraq, 
Lebanon, Israel, all throughout the Middle East. There is an agenda that these terror groups have. And that is world domination. And we need to understand that tonight. The Islamic population is increasing at an alarming rate. The BBC has reported that the most popular name given to babies, to baby boys, is now Muhammad. That's not in Saudi Arabia, that's in London. Amazingly, Islam is not only growing by physical reproduction, but many are converting to Islam. Americans who were born Christians, or even perhaps to non-religious secular homes, have been joining sides with Islamic extremism. It's my opinion that to commit such kind of atrocities, treason, forfeits one's rights. You become an enemy combatant when you join Islamic terror cells. So tonight, radical Islam, I believe, is the gangrene of our world community. That infection is spreading at alarming rates. It is even here in our God-blessed America. And I fear that this week in the midst of perhaps real uh, political correctness that people are going to miss a great opportunity of understanding and seeing only on the surface what is happening. I entreat every one of you tonight, look deeper There are spiritual things at work in our world right now. And if we as the church miss it, this world is in deep trouble. The blessings of God are still upon His people. In fact, I want to tell you as Pastor said to all of us this morning, He is still Greater. While the spread of Islamic extremism is going around clacking off vests, literally tearing people's physical bodies asunder, our dunamis, our dynamite, our Holy Ghost is putting lives back together. That's the difference between what they have and what you and I have. He is still a great God. In fact, David said of him, He prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The blessings of God are still going to be poured out upon God's people even in spite of our adversaries. There is no terrorist organization that will stop the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no one who can stay the hand of God's blessings upon His people. Nevertheless, we know the times that we're living in. And although we know our enemies seek to destroy us, we also know that we are instructed to pray without ceasing. We are instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We should pray for our own country as well as other countries around the world that are falling victim to Islamic extremism. And if the Lord tarries, Much longer I'm going to have to raise my kids in a world that has full understanding of what terrorism is all about. 
with such an important responsibility that I have to my family. I don't want to be caught sleeping. It's time to arise to some great truths, church family. And that is that our God is a mighty God. Pastor said it today. We're thankful for our troops. And we jolly well better be praying for our troops. And as we pray for Israel, we need to pray for the Israeli Defense Forces as well. But it is not only our troops and not only the IDF that are protecting this nation and protecting the nation of Israel. Because the psalmist said it like this in Psalm 121 and verse number 3. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. That's the God that you and I serve. I was visiting my friends down at the Chabad Lubavitch Synagogue in, uh, in Carmel last year. And uh, I went and sat. The rabbi sent me an email, invited me to come and sit in on a class. They had a guest rabbi coming to teach on a pretty uh, specific topic. And it was just after the shooting that had taken place at the uh, Poway uh, Synagogue in California. As some of you all will remember, the rabbi was shot in his hands. His fingers were blown off and there were some people that were killed uh, during that time. And as well, then we had just had the Tree of Life Synagogue, which I've, I've, I've been there as well in the community, the Jewish community in uh, Pittsburgh. I've been there many, many times. And I asked him, what kind of safety measures do we have for the synagogue? What about some Gentiles that maybe are willing to volunteer during Shabbos, during uh, prayer during this and that, standing out at the road and watching people pull in. He said, yeah, we've had people volunteer to do that. But he said, you know what? He said, that's a great thing. He said, I'm sure we've got people that are underneath their black coats. We've got some extra metal under there somewhere, not just their belt buckle. Come on, somebody. But he said... When we installed the mezuzah on the door of our synagogue, he said, I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment. He said, but he said, when we installed the mezuzah, which is the little box with the scroll inside of it, wherein is written Deuteronomy chapter number six and four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Israel, Adonai Loheinu Adonai Echad. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And talking about binding it upon your head, upon your hand, upon your doorpost, talking about it with your kids. He said, when we install it, we say something uh, that is also written in the scripture. And I just began to sing the song. Because I've installed some mezuzahs in my day. And there's a song that we sing that I just feel like singing it. 
says, Ine, Ine, lo yanum, lo yanum, velo yishan, lo yanum, velo yishan, Shomer Yisroel. Ine, Ine, lo yanum, lo yanum, velo yishan, lo yanum, velo yishan, Shomer Yisroel. Meshem lo yivne ba'is, shavam levoi novoi, Meshem lo yishmorir, shav shakon shoimai. Meshem lo yivne ba'is, shavam levoi novoi, Meshem lo yishmorir, shav shakon shoimai. Ine, ine, lo yanum, lo yanum, velo yishan, lo yanum, velo yishan, shoimai Yisroel, and it says, except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keeps the house. The watchman watches in vain. But he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers and he neither sleeps. Maybe you don't have a mezuzah on your door, but you are a one God apostolic. Maybe you ought to take a piece of paper and a pencil and write Deuteronomy chapter number 6 out on put it on your doorpost and say I still believe that he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep Proverbs 14 and 34, righteousness exalt, exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 1 John 5 and 4, for, who, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I want to preach to somebody for the last 30 seconds of this sermon tonight and say, if you have been born again, you've not been born of this worldly seed, you've been born of a righteous seed a holy seed when you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost you were born again into a holy nation tonight as we stand to our feet I'm preaching to some people that have great potential to be overcomers overcomers because of our faith there is still one Lord one faith and one baptism and I'm thankful tonight to be a part of that nation if you're thankful to be a part of that nation can we give God a hand clap of praise one more time